head bob going this morning. You know, I got uh, baby Max, 14 months. He he just loves music, so he just he'll start he'll start doing all kinds of things in response to music. It's awesome. Good morning. You know, Pastor David, Pastor David really commends people who show up here in July as being the faithful. But I think it's fair to say you show up to church the Sunday after Christmas. I mean, y'all are the faithful. So it's awesome to be with you this morning. We are in between sermon series today. So we finished up This is Christmas last week. Next week, we're going to start a new sermon series called What the Bible Doesn't Say. So I'm really excited about that, what the Bible doesn't say. So out of that, the inspiration for that sermon series and a lot of prayer and conversation are examining our faith and some of the answers and some of the life sayings and phrases that we've inherited, like everything happens for a reason, and trying to connect, like, is that, it kind of sounds like it's in scripture somewhere, isn't it? Is somewhere, maybe? We're going to find out. So that's what what the Bible doesn't say is about. And what I want to do this morning is lead up to that, build up to that. It'll be a, a little bit of a preamble this morning as we talk about the value in asking questions and examining our faith. I think it's really, really important. And again, Max being 14 months old, I don't have the privilege of getting to to hear some of the fun questions kids say. And... Do, you, do some of your kids ask some really funny questions? I had to find some funny questions that kids ask because Max isn't there yet. It's something we get to look forward to. But like, mom, my belly hurts. Am I pregnant? In the olden days, was everything in black and white? If plants need rain and sun to grow and rainbows are made of light and water, are rainbows plant food? Or sometimes kids ask really inquisitive questions like, why can't I see my eyes? Where do thoughts come from? Why, why are we born young and get old? Why can't we be born old and get young? I think sometimes kids' questions are really, really funny. And we get older, we ask more questions, and our questions change, but we still ask questions. And I don't know if your teachers said this to you when you were growing up. They said it to me. There's no such thing as a bad question. There's so much, there's no such thing as a wrong question. And of course, that's not true. Where's the remote? Where's my jacket? Where's my phone? Where's my phone? I don't know. How am I supposed to know where you put your... Although the remote question, I'm pretty convinced all of us have a black hole in our living room somewhere where for a brief moment in time, the remote does actually disappear and reappear. So I think the remote question's legit. Context matters when it comes to questions. Asking a science teacher about John Steinbeck's use of symbolism in the Grapes of Wrath, not a good question to ask a science teacher, right? So context really matters. And as we get older, it really matters whether or not we have a community, whether or not we have a context to ask the most important questions, like what's the meaning of life? What is my purpose here? And in our country right now, there was never a time such as this for the church to be brave, to be bold, to make very clear, especially to our younger generations, that this is a community, this is a context where it is safe to explore the biggest questions. Because we're dealing with a crisis of meaning and crisis of purpose right now. Like for the first time, the last few years, the life expectancy in the U.S. has dropped. 
since like the 1960s. And as rampant as the flu season and the cold season has been, and I think this year it seems like everybody's had the cold like five times. It's been awful. It isn't disease. It isn't illness. It isn't cancer. It isn't the proliferation of all these other things that's the main reason for the decline in life expectancy. It's the scary, alarming increase in suicide. It's the scary, alarming increase in drug overdose. There is a crisis of meaning and a crisis in purpose. And so there was never as much of an important time as this for the church to be the hope of the earth. I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but at the start of this week, I was asking the wrong question. And it took me a while to figure that out. You know, I knew this week was in between sermon series. I knew it, I, it's lots of options. It's a blank canvas. Shay, what am I going to preach on? Shay, what am I going to preach on? Shay, what am I going to preach on? I kept asking myself that as I was going to Christmas services, as I was going to Christmas gatherings, like, what am I going to preach on? And as obvious to you as it might be that that's the wrong question, I didn't think it was the wrong question. It seemed like it was absolutely the right question. I'm responsible here. Um, it is a gift and privilege that I get to do this with you. And it seemed like a pertinent and responsible question to ask. What am I going to preach on? And I wasted a lot of time. There were consequences for, for the question that I was asking, for being stuck. Like I wasted, I wasted a lot of time. And if that question was the source of my search and the source of my study, then we wouldn't get to hear what God wants us to hear this morning. So asking the wrong question actually does have some consequences. And our passage today is going to be from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. If you want to follow along in your Bibles or app on your phone, if you're using the blue Bible in the seat back in front of you, it is page 1574, but we're going to have it on the screen too. So 1574 in the blue Bible, Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. This will be a story that's probably familiar for a lot of you. And it's, it's a man asking his life's question, a very, very big question to Jesus. So let's, let's read together. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, well, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but, with not, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, we've left everything to follow you. 
Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields or for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. So the big question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The big question the man asks is an interesting question. We might say it's the man's life question. But before we get to that, I think it's interesting. Jesus responds to the question with a question, as is often the case. He doesn't first get to the answer to answer the man's question. He first questions, he wants to clarify something. What's the, the definition of goodness. Why do you call me good? He's like sensing that the usage of the word good here is a little too casual. Maybe there's a misuse of the word good here because only God is good. And, and we obliterate the word good, of course, in our culture. Like, how was your day? Good. What'd you do today? How'd you, how was your day? We just, like good for us sometimes just means I want the conversation to end right now. Like, <laughs> So forget having goodness and connecting it with God's character and whatnot. Good can simply end a conversation. It can just simply mean an absence of conflict or drama or distaste. Like it was just good. It doesn't necessarily indicate something that's intrinsically positive. It's good. There's many people in our culture today, just like then though, that want to call Jesus a good teacher, but but they don't mean he's from God. They don't mean he's the son of God. They don't mean he's co-equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. I think this is behind Jesus's question. We wanna call Jesus a good teacher. And C.S. Lewis famously paints this for us in a very striking and profound way. That calling Jesus a good teacher, if we don't mean that he's the son of God, we, it doesn't make any sense. It's kind of crazy talk to say that because Jesus himself hasn't left that option available for us. It doesn't make any sense. It's kind of crazy to call somebody a good teacher who says they will forgive your sins. Who, who, who heals the lame, right? Who says they are the way, who says they are the truth, who says they are the life. It doesn't make sense to, to call someone that good. And so C.S. Lewis famously says, Jesus is who he says he is, and then therefore is the only one worthy of worship or adoration. Or, you know, he needs to be in the loony bin. He's, he's with those folks past, present, and future that, are, that, that should be put away because they're a danger to themselves and others. If we really pay attention to who Jesus says he is and why he said he came, if we take it all in, right? Those are the two options. There's really no middle ground. Jesus is asking, why do you call me good? Are you making an identification? So far in the gospel of Mark, there's been some people who have identified Jesus as the Messiah. And so I think Jesus is fishing around like, why, why is it do you call me good? And the man doesn't make that identification as Jesus lists the things that the man has followed since he was a boy 
these commands. He's tried sincerely to order his life in a way. There's a genuineness and a sincerity to this question. Jesus sees that, but the man then identifies Jesus just as a teacher, not as a good teacher. He's kind of been warned, okay, so if, if I want to use the word good, I, I know what that means now. And he doesn't end up saying that. So here at the outset, we see that the man really doesn't know who he's talking to. And if I think he knew who he was talking to, I wonder if he would respond differently at the end of this story. But the earnestness is there. Jesus sees him and he loves him. This isn't like some of those harsh Pharisees, the proud and arrogant, somebody who's been really oppressive, who hasn't paid their workers their wages. This is somebody who from a boy, and we talked about children and how we have to, how we have to become like children to enter the kingdom of God. From a boy, this man's really tried. And Jesus sees that. And he says, there's only one thing. There's only one thing that he lacks. Only one thing. One thing. What's the one thing keeping this man from entering eternal life? And it's his love for things. It's his love for things. That's really it. It's his love for things that is keeping the man from eternity. Somewhere along the way, the boy became a man, the child grew up, and he, he started to love his things more than anyone else. And, and the way that insulated himself maybe from suffering and from the pains and affliction of the world, he started to love the, entrusting the pleasure of his things. You know, there's that old Christmas song. We don't sing it at church because it's, it's really not appropriate from the 60s. Silver and gold, silver and gold, silver and gold. There's, there's a version of that song that, that was released in 2012 by a guy named Sufjan Stevens that really captures, the lyrics capture what's behind all of this, this love for things and the trajectory, where that leads us. And so th this, is, this, is how it's, this is how that song goes. Silver and gold, silver and gold. Everyone wishes for it. I think that's this guy. How do you measure its worth? Just by the pleasure it gives here on earth. Oh, I'm getting old. Oh, I'm getting old. Everyone wishes for youth. How have I wasted my life trusting the pleasure it gives here on earth? Lord, come with fire. Lord, come with fire. Everyone's wasting their time storing up treasure in vain, trusting the pleasure it gives here on earth. Oh, I see the end. Oh, I see the end. Everybody's waiting for death. How do you measure its worth? Justice delivers its gift here on earth. Silver and gold, silver and gold, silver and gold, silver and gold. Like at the end of it all, his love for things. And behind the man's question is, is a will so much like our own where we, we kind of want it both ways. Like maybe we identify Jesus rightly, right? But we, we don't want both feet in the kingdom, we want one foot firmly planted in the pleasures of this world, pampered and safe and warm. And we'll kind of lean that other foot in the kingdom where we can try to follow Jesus and, and, and be a good person. Our, our wills, especially now, so much if we go through our life and we don't ask questions and we don't examine our life, 
if we just look at ourselves, if we could be outside of ourselves and look, do, do sometimes we love things more than the folks in our lives? And I worry sometimes, especially with some of our kids, that, that we're more concerned about the screen that is broken on our phone than the friends we're feuding with on Facebook. So much of our life has become about things. And I think that's at the heart of the issue for this man and why he leads he leaves downcast, his face fallen. <laughs> because there's only one master. And he hasn't, as big, as big of a, as, as much as it seems it's, it's a big thing, this love for things is, it's still, it's still only one thing, right? He's being offered eternity. And at the end of the day, it's just too much. It's too expensive, it's too costly. And the disciples are freaking out. And at this point in the story, we might freak out with them as Jesus says, not only is it difficult for the rich, but then Jesus says, if you caught it the second time, children, it's difficult to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are freaking out and are becoming more and more amazed and ask, well, then who can enter? And like us, I think we struggle with the apostle Paul, that thing we, we know we should do, we struggle to do. We struggle to do. And the things that we know we shouldn't do, sometimes we fall into those cycles and we keep doing those things. How is it? Who can be saved? The disciples have been benefiting in their itinerant ministry from people of means who've helped them, have given them food. Like, how is it? And thankfully, there's good news this morning that it isn't up to us, that, that for us, this is all an impossible thing. This question of what can I do to inherit is the wrong kind of question. Nothing's impossible for God. Thankfully, verse 27, nothing is impossible for God. And the blessings are hard to fathom. They're listed in 29 to 31, a hundredfold of blessings if we choose to follow, if we choose to seek the kingdom of God. And you know, we don't really know how the story ends for this guy. I mean, it doesn't look promising as he leaves with his head down, but at least he had the courage to ask the question. And in asking the question, he found out the one thing that he needs to do. And so we don't know how the story ends. And one question I have for us is, are we asking God enough questions in our life? Are we, are we trusting God with questions and examining our own life? You see, I know we've, we've inherited a lot of answers, but some of us, I don't think, have examined them enough to know what questions they belong to. It's like getting handed a bunch of answers before the test has been given. We haven't been given the test, but we have these answers and we don't know how to apply them because sometimes we don't examine enough. And unfortunately, there have been churches and there have been traditions that have scared people into submission where asking questions is a bad thing. It's a sign of doubt. It's a sign of disobedience. It's a sign that we, we might not believe everything. And I met a lot of people in college that came from churches like that. And that's, that just isn't consistent with scripture. It just isn't, it isn't consistent with scripture. As, as we ask questions, we grow in our faith. As we ask questions, we deepen in our relationship with God. We can't actually be in a relationship. We can't have a conversation with somebody without asking questions. It doesn't, it doesn't work if we don't ask questions. Asking questions is, is so important as we wrestle with the doubt 
that God is big enough for all of our questions. And when we think of somebody like John the Baptist in scripture, right? He's, he might be the first candidate, the, the farthest person from somebody who experiences doubt as anybody as he wears camel hair and he eats wild honey and he prepares the way for the Lord. He's so bold in his message and the way he prepares the way for Jesus. But even John the Baptist has a question of doubt towards the end of his life as he's sitting in prison and he hears all this good stuff happening out there for everybody. Like everybody's, there's people being healed. Jesus is doing all these things, but Jesus didn't have time to visit John the Baptist. And so John gets word to Jesus and asks him, you know, my whole life I've been preparing. I'm not the guy. I've been telling everybody you're the guy, but are you the guy? Like, are we supposed to wait for somebody else? And Jesus' response to that is, is, he says, nobody's greater than John the Baptist. There's nobody that's greater than John the Baptist. And blessed is, is anyone who doesn't stumble on account of me. As if Jesus knew in his time, there were family members, there were close friends that they just wouldn't understand what he had to do in the way he had to do it. Even John the Baptist has this question of doubt. And what does Jesus do when his own disciples experience doubt? He doesn't disregard it. He invites Thomas to put his hand in the side. He invites Thomas to put his hand in his hand. And so it's so important for us to ask big questions because God's big enough for all of our questions, our questions of doubt, our questions of unbelief. Just in the chapter before chapter 10, there is a man who says he believes in Jesus. He wants Jesus to heal his daughter. But he, he asked him, Lord, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. And so we can believe Jesus is Lord. We can believe Jesus is Savior and still have questions about what that all means. And we can believe God creates ex nihilo out of nothing and still have questions about the mechanics. How does that work exactly? And how long did you take, Lord? <laughs> did you take six days or did you take longer, right? Like we can... We can we can have those questions and still believe. The ancient philosopher Socrates once famously said, the unexamined life is not worth living. We might say the unexamined faith is not worth believing. And if we wanna be faithful witnesses, we need to go deeper. We need to be deep disciples. And in order to go deeper, we gotta ask a lot of questions. And we have to, because because questions help keep us in check, help keep us in focus. That was the revelation for me this week as I was asking the wrong question, is I realized like our decisions, our actions, our choices, they're answering a question that we may or may not be aware that we're asking. We see this man's question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and unfortunately, it's it's... It's wrongheaded. He doesn't know who he's talking about and he thinks that he might be able to do something to inherit eternal life. I was asking the wrong question and I was inspired. I got out of a meeting on Wednesday morning in Arlington and I was fired up. It was a great meeting and I got in the car and it was time to head back up to the office. And it was crunch time. Like I've been asking, I'm still frustrated. What, what am I supposed to preach on? What am I supposed to preach on this week? Blank canvas, you know, I got all these options. What am I supposed to do? And it was about to be crunch time. I was going to have to start writing on the whiteboard and figuring out this thing. And just out of kind of frustration as I'm driving back to the office, in prayer, I just, I just said, I asked, God, what do you want me to say? 
And he said that, that, that's the right question. That's the right question. God, what do you want me to say? That's the right question. It just like hit me as, as I asked God that question in prayer that had I, had the source of this whole exploration been what, what am I going to do? What, what Shay got to say? Um, it may have been more eloquent and polished, may have had more time to work that one out. But I wouldn't have been given the gift to, to be reminded, to allow the Lord to remind me of how powerful prayer is. That God says both literally, figuratively, when we pray, mountains will be moved. And this revelation that, that, that these, these actions, this, this way of living our lives and these choices and decisions we make, where we're answering a question. God, what do you want me to say? And it was so important for me to hear that and to know that. And I'm a little bit embarrassed to confess that for you today, but, but I was missing it. And I was asking the wrong question and there were consequences for that. And so it's important for us in prayer to go to the Lord and ask God questions. And that's what I'm excited about this next sermon series about what the Bible doesn't say. It's a way for us to examine maybe some of those things, these answers that we've inherited, these answers that we've been given. Jesus is the answer. Well, what's, what's the question he's the answer to? And just examine this afresh in a new way. And, and next time we meet together, it'll be 2019, a new year. So as we approach a new year, what might be your answer to this question? What is, what's the question your life is answering? We see the question that the rich young ruler or in, in the gospel of Mark, he's just described as a wealthy man. We see the question he asks, the question of his life. What is the question my life is answering? Will you pray with me? Holy God, it's easy as we busy ourselves around the holidays, as we get knee deep in routine and tasks, just to go day in, day out in an unreflective way, in an unexamined way. And we go through motions and we get our jobs done and we have to do our chores and we sleep. And, and Lord, so often we, we don't realize that, that we're maybe answering a question that's all about us. It's all about um, how we can gain happiness, how we can gain eternal life, what we can do to insulate ourselves maybe from pain and from suffering. What we can do to sort of have fun and, and keep the pleasures of this life always in the forefront, Lord. When you offer us eternity, you offer us an invitation to follow you, to seek you first. And we confess we wish that was easier. <laughs> We're thankful though that it is in our power, it is in our strength 
that'll save us, that it's, that it's up to you and you've chosen us. You've said yes. As we ask in faith to follow, you, you've said yes and that you, you call us your son, you call us your daughter. And so Lord, because we've received grace, help us examine each and every day what it is you're calling us to do. May our questions be focused on your will and your purpose for our lives and less on what we want. Because the truth is, is we're, we don't know a whole lot. God, we love you. We're thankful, so thankful for the life that you give us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.